Yo, yo, what's up? Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Because we are technically recording this on November 21st. So, yeah. How, how old are you right now? You were supposed to say, uh, it's not my birthday, it's your birthday. And I was supposed to say, oh, I thought we had the same birthday. And then, anyways, you fucked it up. <laughs> hey, maybe maybe we should script this part then. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yo, I just got back from uh, Dubai, Dubai. Oh, you know? yeah, you were at um, Expo 2020, right? How'd that go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Expo 2020. So I was there for like three days, and I spent three days walking around getting like almost like London vacation type step counts on my phone that was checking every five minutes. Jeez. And um, uh, yeah, it's great. I got like between eight and 10 miles of steps in, but that's not the point. So they had these pavilions. Uh, basically, every country was there showing off their goods. And uh, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, um, first of all, there was like a million options for food. Uh, and all of it was like super authentic from wherever it came from. And oh, wow. uh, the pavilions were either like showing off you know, their economic prowess or, you know, trying to attract tourists or something. And mm-hmm. some of the places looked really, really, I mean, they, they really put some time into them. So like Colombia had coffee and, and sorbets from around the country. And, and basically I really want to go to Colombia now. Um, it just looks <laughs> really dope. Um, hey, if you ever the, do, I'm, I'm very down to go to Colombia. Yeah. It's a short, short flight from LAX, right? True. Of course, yeah, I'll be, be playing the Narcos theme song the entire time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cussing I'm, I'm people just gonna, out in Spanish. I'm gonna, I'm gonna grow my hair out and then just shave the beard, but keep the mustache. Yeah, I'm just gonna go around saying just, just like very angrily screaming "hijo de puta" just because, like, <laughs> like from Narcos. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, when they yeah. when they check my bag at the airport and they find like a water bottle, I'm like, take it. It's yours. Don't worry about it. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Oh wait, copyright. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's, some of these countries had really put in a lot of time and effort into making their pavilions really amazing, like really amazing. Um, the food was incredible. Like you go to the, we went to the Netherlands pavilion and the Stroop waffles were just like the ones you get on the street in Amsterdam. And, uh, we went to the German pavilion all the food was disgusting. So it was like super realistic and, uh, (laughs) the Italian pavilion, uh, had really, really good coffee. Um, Damn. yeah, we just went to so many of them. I spent forever waiting to get into the Japanese one. It was like a 90 minute wait. And, um, uh, we ended up just skipping just to go to other ones cause it took forever. Um, the American pavilion had a little thing about fusion reactors. So I, I geeked out a little bit. Um, and oh, a I little piece that. of the moon, like, yeah, moon rock that you could touch. So I touched that, Jeez. uh, you know, I left a little booger on it for the, on the moon so they can clone <laughs> me. And, right, right. um, yeah, I can I can honestly spend the rest of this rest of this uh, uh, podcast just talking about all the stuff that I saw um, at at Expo 2020. So if anyone's listening, you have an opportunity to go. Most definitely go. It's it's great, and it's even better if you go hungry because again, the food options are amazing. Um, what what kind of food was at the uh, American booth? It was it was literally like a little burger place um, situated directly under a SpaceX rocket. Holy crap! That kind of like, sounds like cool. an actual an actual SpaceX rocket. Like it was still had like burn marks and stuff on the side of it. Um, wow! And uh, they had the, the like the very first ever iPhone that was there, uh, like the one wow. that Steve Jobs used to introduce the thing on stage. Um, huh. Yeah, it's it's really dope. It's really cool. I loved it, and you can fun. tell there's a lot of like you know big country dick wagging. Oh you know? yeah. Because like the American, the Chinese pavilions are not that far away from each other, and we know there's like a mine, mine is bigger than yours type attitude. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. And of yeah, course, yeah. like that... America has a giant phallic SpaceX standing in the back. You know, you could see <laughs> from the Chinese pavilion. So you know, mine is really is much much bigger than yours. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> and it lands, and I, and I can reuse um, it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yours is small and worked once. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was it was it was really good. It was really good. I loved it, and um, that's awesome. Yeah. Damn. What that, did you so do? That, that sounds like a. Oh boy, I uh, nothing nothing too exciting in terms of traveling and stuff. I mean, I just stayed home. We're in the middle of like some massive migrations on on the um, on, on on the product side, so 
just um, waking up, putting my head down for a good half of the day, just working and then just making sure I don't burn out pretty much. Um, I thought, so like the interesting thing about that we need to point out here is the, the Thursday episode. So um, we unfortunately had to cancel it because because like don't um, say issues thing. with the guests. <laughs> Piece of crap. No, I'm just kidding. No. Um, but if, if you're listening, so, we forgive you. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, but um, I was going to say, like, I, I kind of prepped for it. And I prepped for it assuming that I was going to be alone or just the, the sole person in that in that episode. And to 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 make it a little fun, I, I wrote out a couple of roasts of you so that people can finally hear what what jokes I can make. And, okay. and now that you're here, I'd love to, to run a couple by you. Okay. I, just, I mean, I want you to remember that I have your banking information, but yeah, please go ahead. <laughs> Glorious, supreme, Aziz is amazing, and uh, nothing wrong with <laughs> <yet>. Good. <laughs> now no, go okay, commit but... Harry Cardi. <laughs> oh, God. But, um, okay. First one. Aziz looks like if Joe Rogan worked at NBK. Okay. Okay. Fair. Okay. Okay. Second one. Aziz is like the girl from the movie Inside Out if the anger and disgust characters killed all the other ones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I put a lot of thought into those. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame about the accident you're going to have next week, but yeah. <laughs> It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him after. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. I, I want, uh, I want a good cause to punch you. Oh, okay. I, I just have the last one, which is kind of funny in my opinion, but, um, the last one I wrote, but the <laughs> 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 but that's it. That's it. Those, yeah. Th those are my three. Okay. See, now no, we just... have to be all cryptic about it because I have to cut that one out to make sure that nobody puts like a car bomb in front of my house. <laughs> hey, I'm going to, I'm going to spend the next week kind of looking over my shoulders. Right now. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so for the people now listening to this podcast, uh, the reason there was a gap is because I edited it out and I don't want to uh, die under mysterious pretenses. Anyhow, <laughs> we have yapped for long enough. Um, I have not done Indeed. really much of anything. Um, the last week besides the expo stuff, which was wonderful because I didn't have to like, you know, get stuck on zoom. Um, right. Oh, I had a tweet that kind of got a little traction and got some people talking. Oh, I noticed that. Yeah. Which yeah, was, yeah. which was pretty cool. Um, what was really cool was like, uh, so here's the thing I'm looking it up right now and okay. 11,089 impressions, which is, Holy uh, crap. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the highest I've I've gotten in a while without um, insulting a person or country, um, <laughs> and or, but uh, yeah. So I, you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna read it right now, just for people to have context. Um, any okay. founder who thinks there's no use in establishing rapport with the younger, non-partner members of a VC firm is dead wrong. They're your navigators, and if they really like your startup, your best advocate at investment committee. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there was, there was, I, I would say like 95% of people who responded to this, you know, directly or in DM, um, agreed with me. It was my personal experience really. Mm -hmm. Um, both when I was a shitty founder and when I was at a VC, that was sort of my experience kind of confirmed all that. Um, oh, actually I ended up getting a quote tweet from, uh, from Maddie Sino from, uh, Matthew Graham, who's the founder and CEO of Sino global. Oh wow! Really? Uh, yeah, that I think is their Beijing-based, um, uh, you know, blockchain-focused firm. Mm -hmm. um, that was pretty cool, uh, and you followed me, uh, Matthew. If you're actually listening to this, we would really, really love to have you on the show for an interview. I mean, I have a thousand and one questions for Sino Global. Um, yeah, DM me. DM's open. Oh yeah, and I also, I also just checked, and I think he, uh, yeah, he he follows the Venture Bros account. So, thanks for that, Matthew. Would, oh, would love to, to talk. Cool, cool. Yeah, Matthew Graham, please, please DM us. We will love to have you on the show. Um, or sure. Anyways, so so back to the tweet. Um, yeah, but given like you know my experience was, I mean, I worked at a firm with with like an odd uh, dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to name them, but you know, just do some digging and find the name yourself. 
So th the week I started working there was the week I pretty much discovered that the two people who I thought would be running the show were in fact spending almost exactly zero time on the investment function because both of them were busy running separate independent businesses that were still under the um, uh, you know umbrella of that VC. Um, so those two businesses that they ran, I had really nothing to do with. Like you know, I got updates every now and then, but I had nothing to do with the investment. Um, and most of the time I was there, I was kind of building the portfolio by myself and I had nobody reporting to me either. So it felt like a solo job for most of the time. Um, I eventually ended up having people reporting to me, but that was for a, a brief period towards the end. Um, mm. they're, they're probably listening. Hi guys. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I was I was basically the person that um, an investment applicant spent the most time with, which was kind of mm -hmm. a weird dynamic for the VC because uh, my title did not give the impression that I was the only person there. Uh, oh, interesting. Doing investments. There was a ton of people there, but doing investments is me. Um, so most founders um, don't bother meeting with non-partners because they believe that it's not going to move the needle when it comes to the investment committee. And frankly, mm -hmm. that's just, it's not true. Mm -hmm. um i i've i've had uh, i mean i've had discussions with founders who basically told me it's like dude if you're about to introduce me to an associate please don't please find me someone higher up in the food chain i'm like dude if, you know if, if if i send there were situations where i know the partner and i know the associate okay um okay. or if not an associate then somebody who's non-partner but also you know one of the young ones mm -hmm. um and i tell him like man i can i can do the intro to the partner but at the very least i'm going to cc the associate so that you have a constant point of contact who's actually going to talk to you beyond the first 15 minute meeting where the partner's probably checking his phone anyways. Um, right. You know, this, this person, if you can really sell them on your business will be the number one reason that your deck actually gets pushed to the top of the deck internally and gets voted on at IC fairly quickly. And keep in mind that that's the person who is ultimately writing the investment memo on your deal. So if they like you, it's more than likely that they're going to, you know, paint you in a flattering light mm -hmm. all right um to give you an idea of how important those people can be think of like the second season of succession and i'm not going to spoil but think of the power dynamics that that went down between like siobhan and kendall when they had the inkling that their father was uh, uh going to make some serious power moves and that, that meant that he would have to name a successor um that feels like the dynamic internally with a lot of associates at vcs a lot of the times knowing that they can't make them all partner at the same time and they need to do things that pad their resume so so these are this is so what you're talking about is like the associates specifically need some sort of reputation and that's you know the need to kind of pull in a big deal or a great deal or just have become a constant source of deal flow at least yeah, look, th there are two things that you could do at a VC to be useful. Mm -hmm. And frankly, VCs are not charities. So if you're not useful, they're going to show you the door. Number one is help money come into the firm. I mean, you can be mm -hmm. a phenomenal fundraiser and not know jack shit about investing, and you can still probably make it to partner. Interesting. You know, you could be a what's called a non-investing partner. Um, and sometimes if you're an associate and you happen to have a good network, then they will, they may lean on you for certain help for help in certain geographies, for example, you know? Um, so that's the first thing you could do to be useful to an investment firm. The second thing you could do is to help money move out. In other words, keep scouting deal flow. So it's also oh, possible for you to rise through the ranks, being an amazing, um, investor or scout for the business, uh, without really knowing jack shit about raising money from LPs. It just becomes a skill that you develop as time goes on. But those right. are the two things that you could do internally to be useful to a VC. Mm -hmm. um, for that associate who you are conversing with as a founder, one of the things that you could, one of the, uh, sorry, one of the ways that that person is of, is of value to you is because they are your navigator. Your associate is probably not really married to one or the other partner, you know? Um, they're not defensive of them. Like they're, they're like your parents or some shit. Um, the navigators, okay. you know, these associates, they, they tell you what each partner likes and what they don't like and how they'd respond to certain pitches. Um, they tell you to make last second changes to your deck specifically for this pitch because say, oh, so-and-so partner really likes evidence of early traction. 
So, you know, please throw in your cohort numbers. Please, you know, don't say this word that he thinks is a buzzword and annoys him. Get rid of it. Um, like minor little details here and there that can actually move the needle. Um, and they matter. So, yeah. So, yeah. so what you're saying is kind of like associates as, as not, so they're not as, they don't carry as much weight in the fund as a, as an MD or a GP, but they serve as kind of like a front end for the fund. So they take like random actions and just signals with a ton of noise from your end and mm -hmm. convert that into something that makes sense to the investment committee, basically. Right, because the investment committee ultimately decides whether a deal is actionable or not. And they're going to decide based on a number of points that depending on their bias, um, maybe, you know, traction, maybe team, maybe some other thing. And you as a founder have a finite amount of space in your deck to get certain ideas across. Mm -hmm. And it's best to know that from the associate, you know, have him preempt these pointers as opposed to them coming directly after you're done pitching the partners and they tell you this, that, and we kind of like the other thing, but not this. And now that basically costs you the deal, which they'll never say, they'll never say to your face. But an associate mm -hmm. will happily tell you beforehand if they like your deal. The other thing is an associate is your eyes on the inside. So right. they will, I don't want to say air out the dirty laundry, but they'll definitely answer questions that a partner may not be very inclined to answer. Um, so the status of like fund and deployment timelines, that kind of thing, um, you know, a partner, it, they never look good saying, I don't really have dry powder, especially not in front of a founder that they really respect. Um, but right. as a founder, that's going to be something that you would want to know. Um, so an associate will probably tell you, so like, yo, we don't really have dry powder right now. However, we have a capital call around the corner and it's going to be taken care of, or, uh, the partners are bluffing possible, you know? And again, yeah. if an associate acts in a way that is against say the best interest of the firm or the partners, they may be incentivized to do that because of set of circum because of a set of circumstances that you are not, uh, aware of. Uh, for example, they could have had a falling out and the associate wants to help you out because they respect you and you may be an exit path for them if they leave the VC, you know, oh, they could join your team. Yes. That happens. So there is like a personal aspect of it as well. Yeah. I mean, this inside information, that is value. That is real value to a founder. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know? And yeah. keep in mind, no matter how great your pitch may be with partners, um, no matter how much they love you or you think they love you, when this goes to investment committee, you no longer have a representative. You know, no founder is allowed to sit in on investment committee meetings and kind of make their case when other partners are poking holes through the investment memo. Oh, interesting. You know, so your representative on the investment committee ultimately is going to be that associate who may really, really believe in your deal and wants to be the guy or the gal who reeled in the big fish into the portfolio. Because if you end up being the portfolio winner, people will always, you know, they're, they're going to associate that win with you. And if that associate is looking into staying with the firm long term, that that definitely increases their chances of making partner. Yeah. Um, or if the associate intends to leave and start their own thing or join another another firm, um, then that mark on their personal portfolio is is you know it, it's just good resume padding. It helps them negotiate a better right. deal when they move. So so I do have a question, like a the point of curiosity that that I like to touch on. But to provide yeah. some context, um, I may be a founder, but I'm kind of in charge of engineering, so I don't do a lot of talking to investors. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of my stuff is just talking to cloud people and, and, and engineers. But um, so if, if going through an associate as a founder is very beneficial, not for you, but for them as well, because they get to, first of all, have that exit path, but second of all, get to also translate a lot of your noise into signals that the, G the GPs and MDs of the fund care about, mm -hmm. then I can't help but think of the other side of the coin where um, just the, if you're in a dire, if your startup is in a dire position, you need to raise money, um, and you're going directly to the people who are making the decision with all of your noise and with all of your, you know, added BS. Um, why does going to the GP or MD as a founder make more sense? Look, I, I mean, this is uh, it's it's on, it works on a case by case basis. If you're the if you're the founder. And you have already established a rapport with that GP and you're already familiar with that person's MO and how they function and how they make decisions, then you don't really necessarily need a guide 
or a navigator through the firm in the form of an associate because you know what they're going to say in response to certain things, right? Yeah. It's especially true if this is like, you know, your second time negotiating with the same firm, either with the same company or another round. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So so say like but but I think that the one thing that I don't so so just walking through a scenario because that's how I usually try to make sense of stuff, but um say like i have a startup and the startup's play is network effects right um and somewhere in there there's a little bit of ai involved like or or um just like unique algorithms algorithms that we've built for our application um if we go to a fund whose whose thesis is um ai or like ai enabled businesses or something like that and i give the gp or the md a pitch deck that stresses the network effects instead of the AI, it's highly likely that they're going to say no, even if I'm going to be a very big part of their portfolio soon. But if I go through the associate, the associate is able to say, well, the network is great, but there's a little tiny piece of AI that you mentioned that I think we should amplify. And you get to work on that. And eventually that's going to turn into a way more easy decision to make in the investment committee. So to me, I'm kind of thinking like, the the only sort of benefit of talking to an md or gp directly and kind of bypassing the associate is um what i'd say only if you know exactly what the fund is looking for which is highly unlikely but also just for personal connections does that kind of make sense you know there there are two uh phrases that come to mind one Mm -hmm. the answer you get is predicated on how you ask the question and two be like a lawyer don't ask questions that you don't already have the answer to Oh, interesting. So if you're just, you know, dancing the dance as a formality, you know, putting together a deck and financials and presenting it to the GP and but you already know how their uh, decisions are going to be made, and you already know what they're looking for, and you already know what moves the needle for them, then the Mm -hmm. associate is of, you know, lesser concern to you. Maybe you can be friends with them won't hurt. But they, you know, their their role as a navigator is uh, significantly less important than it would be than if you were flying blind. And this is a brand new VC, and you, you know, for one reason or another, really want to work with this one. So, yeah. it's, you know, and, and then I, I have to mention the flip side of you know, it's entirely possible that the, the VC that you admire and respect has hired an associate who is a complete dingbat and is worthless and is probably going to hurt you, not help you. Um, right. I mean, always analyze people's incentives um, when you're uh-huh. going to work with them. Understand mm-hmm. why they're making decisions they want to make. So, for example, when I mentioned the associate who's airing out the dirty laundry inside the fund, it's probably because of some squabble or disagreement um, that has given the associate the signal that they are on their way out. Um, oh, the founder's job is not really to psychoanalyze why that is the case, but you are being given... Um, rare and protected information so take it and use it to your advantage do you think it's also kind of like a the the main question i have is like if, if you're a 30 to 40 year old founder like experienced ex executive at some big corporation and you see that your main source of your main channel to a specific fund is some new grad 24 23 year old mm-hmm. um do you think that kind of plays into it as well of, of like a, you know, the, the, the funds GP or MD is like my age. Why am I talking to this kid to get to them? Yeah, there's definitely, you know, pride that prevents certain conversations from taking place. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's again, it, it's on a case by case basis and you got to feel it out and you got to see what the person's incentives are. And um, if things are just happen to be aligned in a way that is more likely to help you than hurt you, then yeah, you know, act accordingly. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of see that because it makes it makes a ton of sense. I think the the so so what what kind of when you were talking about that, like I know we didn't mention specific ages or, or types of people who who would fill these associate positions, but what stood out to me the most is kind of what like young people in the scene, whether it's a VC, or a fund, or a startup, have to do to add a little bit of credibility um, or, or weight in their names. So say like for example if the founders of it like kind of like the scenario that i just mentioned like if if a if a if an experienced like veteran founder um needs to get to a 20 year old associate to talk to the mds or gps that are the same age it's it's always something like 
cool, but let me meet the actual guy behind the fund or gal. Um, so, and then, and then like, what's, what's funny was that in like a while back when we were just getting into the whole startup stuff, at least on my end, this was something that was kind of even stressed in venture deals. Like the, the arguably the Bible of any founder who, who, who is getting into this stuff. Um, but Anyone one of the entering points- VC must absolutely read venture deals and totally commit that book to memory. It is extremely important, but go ahead. It's it, yeah. I, even on the founder side, it's those types of books that you don't just read once. Like you have to read at least every quarter, every year, something like that. Um, but in venture deals, like one of the main things that they say is, you know, it's good. It's good to talk to an associate at the first time, but after the first couple of conversations, always go for the MD, always go for the GP. And, and, you know, reading that for the first time, I kind of took it and was like, cool, okay, no, noted if I'm ever in that position again. But right now, it's seeming like from the VC's perspective, i.e. from your, your perspective, you're saying that's not the case. No, I mean, eventually, like, look, an associate can't sign a term sheet, right? You are going to have to mm-hmm. transition the discussion to somebody higher up the food chain. I'm just saying... What I don't believe in is taking your, uh, you know, your pitch deck and just kind of blindly throwing it into the abyss of, uh, you know, the contact us section of the VC's website. That doesn't do anything. Uh, but I'm saying, you know, the associate is your Sherpa if you want to reach the reach the summit. So oh, I like that. Ha- have the Sherpa, analogy. right, lead you to yeah. proper base camps. Sherpa won't right. save your life. You got to do that yourself. But uh-huh. a navigator is crucial in these, like you know, kind of very important early stages of making contact. Yeah, yeah. I de- that 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 analogy, although I've never been hiking or mountain climbing or whatever, just made sense for some reason. You barely I think it was because that one. Now I know. <laughs> I think it was because that that one last week tonight episode about Mount Everest. But anyways, um, the so so the reason I kind of brought that up is I found a lot of parallels between, um credibility associated with position and age on the VC side that you just talked about versus kind of what we did. Cause like, I still remember a couple of years ago before we, we'd raised any money uh, before abstract kind of raised any money. We, you know, going to someone as a 21 year old and kind of telling them what you're working on, whether it's a, a, a family friend, a friend, an investor, another founder, whatever it may be is always like, it, it guarantees a response like, well, good luck with your side projects. How's the job search going? You know, um, the, but you have to understand that a lot of like the old farts in this industry are going to look down at people at between the 20, 25 year old age range, you know, like the sweet spot is still like 30 plus for most people. And I think there's a misconception that startups are mainly 18 year olds, but I'm not saying young founders uh, aren't serious founders. They absolutely are, but, Mm -hmm. uh, they, they're still going to look at you and look like, uh, it's adorable. You made tinkles, didn't you? Did you did you make it inside this time? You know, and, and yes. they just infantilize the founder and make it feel like, oh, clearly you're doing this because either your daddy has too much money, or you can't get a job, or both. Um, right, the latter in my and, case, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, no, they just they see it as a, a very infantile uh, approach to starting your career. Uh, which yeah. I think is stupid. Uh, it was more pronounced that right. sentiment over the last, you know, pre-COVID. Now it's a little more. Um, I, I think the atmosphere is a bit more friendly. But um, um, yeah, I think I think yeah. now it's what's nice about it is that like you're getting actual VC funds being set up of purely Gen Z investors or purely people our age. Um, so I like I, I haven't spoken to any, but I've seen tons on Twitter who are like. Um, we all come from the social media space and like they might be associates, but you have someone with experience as the MD or the GP and it's, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of liking this trend of, of age kind of being put aside when it comes to business, because you know, what you lack in experience, you have in grit and you have in work ethic. And that's, that's just a very interesting trade off the trade to, to, to play around with. Yeah. Um, but what I've noticed is like the, the need to kind of add weight to your name as a young founder has almost been transformed into a requirement nowadays. And the biggest example of this is you're noticing founders, but more specifically CEOs kind of turn to quasi content creators and influencers, and they're consistently churning out blog posts, uh, <clears throat> podcasts, shitty podcasts, and 
<laughs> yep. Shitty, shitty podcasts where we technically just throw shit at each other um, and just tweets in general. And well, okay, here's the thing to, to clarify, this isn't really a requirement, but I've had multiple meetings with very knowledgeable, like people with a lot of subject matter um, expertise this past week. And whether it was hiring, whether it was, um, Lord knows, like HR, tech, engineering, PR, marketing, all of them kind of said the same thing, which is if your name is out there, there's going to be a couple of more doors open for you because people are not going to need to look up your LinkedIn and go like, oh, fine, he worked for like one year now, at this one out, place. Out there, out there, meaning that they can Google you and the first link isn't just your LinkedIn page, but maybe some, again, content you've created someplace. And uh, yeah. you know, hopefully not a link on like the sex offender registry and your real name. <laughs> God, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much just that. It, it, as long as it's like, if you, it, like say for example, if you Google something and if you Google someone's name and the first thing that pops up is a, YouTube, YouTube video of like their interview, um, that becomes a, or, or, or a conference or, or, um, a, a time when they were a speaker at some sort of event that kind of makes the introduction a bit more exciting. Wait, what do I get? Or just... I'm gonna, you don't, by the way. Okay. Anyone listening, this is not scripted. I'm okay. on, I'm going to, I'm going to Google me. I'm actually very curious as well. I want to look myself up. <laughs> okay. My Instagram and a Pakistani singer with the same name. <laughs> I get, so oh, as expected. You know, hold on, hold on. My... You, don't, you know what it is? I'm not using my actual legal name that appears in like articles and shit. Oh, okay. So when I use my legal name, it's it's my face on everything and startup events and all that shit. Crunchbase. Oh, really? Because um, when, oh, when I- Oh, it's me in my... the news. Shit, I was in the news? Wait, hold on. Wait, you're in the news? Dude, what the fuck? I swear, I, this is not scripted. I'm not. Why am I in the news? Come on. Uh, Wait, what? What website? TechTimes.com. Challenging oh, I see Silicon that. Valley's hegemony. Business had deploys Mina Capital in emerging U.S. tech hubs. Capital from Mina sovereign wealth funds have been the bedrock of Silicon Valley for decades. Yet the last decade has seen the emergence of new tech hubs in the United States. What the fuck? Shit, dude. I, here's the thing. I get like random reporters DMing me, and I give them like a snippet of that I tell them they can use, and I, I never look up where the hell it goes. Um, this is from May too. This is very surprising. Oh wait, okay. I've definitely said some of this shit. Fuck, I didn't know know who they wrote for. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that was a that was a nice surprise. I mean, it's my face. Okay. <laughs> This could have been okay, this, also worse. this this could have been worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it's, kind of, it's not bad. It's kind of good. You it know, could have been the, man it's, it's found in puddle of vomit by Los Angeles train <laughs> station. I mean, yes, exactly. I'm trying to see like, Ayat also has a gorgeous younger brother by the name of Mahal. Yeah, no, this is accurate. This is very good. Oh yeah, recently arrested for yeah yeah that's him. <laughs> oh God. I think I think that threw us off. Where where were we? Um, oh yeah. yeah. So, hold on. Where's there's an April twenty ninth. Okay, there's there's an article about me in in uh, influence Istanbul. It was shared forty one times. <laughs> Jeez. Oh no. <laughs> that oh no I, didn't I, sound too I, good. I, I have no. I mean, I have to read these to make sure it's nothing like cancelable. So if this actually makes the air. That means it wasn't yeah. cancelable. Um, okay. Hey, I'm kind of scrolling through them. They seem they seem not bad. It's not. It's flattering, right? Like if if, if yeah, some chick yeah. like Google's this on a blind date, it's like she's not going to leave immediately. <laughs> exactly. Question: Whether it's the right time to experience it was a good time to invest in that. Huh. What? Well, hey, you got some you got some research to do. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of skimming through. The people listening can't know, don't know what you're fucking reading. Just read it. No, true, true, true. Okay, I, I was just reading a snippet from a Hacker Noon article. Let's see, where was it? Um, I'm on Hacker yeah, Noon. Yeah, here. Yeah, Kate what? Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> it says, um, "It's just this one paragraph." It says, "Interestingly, when questioned whether it is the right time to invest." 
Hayat responded, backed with his entrepreneurial instinct, instincts, that it is always a good time to invest and that consistently investing across time and geography is key. Hey, they're making you sound smart. Fuck you. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, hold on, hold on. This, okay, this, okay. Is, this, this podcast is going to be us Googling news. Um, yeah, yeah. Dude, it even says compete for a million dollars in prizes on Hacker Noon. Like, it's Hacker yeah, Noon. It's, yeah. it's not some shit rag, right? So there's apparently... Why is my face being used? Okay. I don't know, but how old Where would, is this? Where is this picture like... from? This is from Andarn Bahrain. Dude, Bahrain, I did that in yeah. like March of 2019. <laughs> Jeez. Where do they even... Okay. Uh, okay, never mind. Um... <laughs> hey, you made it. Um... Am I famous? You are famous. Oh, great. Oh, no. I love it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay, man. this is... All right, okay. This time next year, I'll be on TMZ. Anyways, oh, okay, enough, enough <laughs> of this shit. I don't, I don't like this okay. massive intrusion in my privacy. At least, you know, I'm not getting famous for, like, Kardashian reasons, but okay. Um, no, true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, where, where were nice. we? Um, <laughs> I don't think any of our houses are that. Uh, Your ass is terrible. We have, do you know, like something died. Do you know, do you know, on it. anyways, we have, <laughs> do you know the picture of the toad standing on a bathtub? Did you see like a square ass on the background? Uh, that's kind yeah. of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. So where were we? Uh, looking at my pictures and like yeah. thin, fat, thin, fat, thin, fat, like it's nothing. That says, okay. Okay. Christian Bale, right. Christian Bale. Um, Christian Bale. Right, okay. So, Exactly. So, so okay. The, the reason we sort of f fell into this rabbit hole, this pleasant surprise, I guess, is just the need of people to to build their own image to the point where if you Google something, it's not your LinkedIn profile that comes up. I just Googled it and I got a ton of Indian doctors for some reason, and just my LinkedIn profile. So, someone's kind of winning in this in this battle here. But so, like, here's here's the thing. On top of that, um, it's it's kind of like what what founders usually go famous for or not go famous for but what they kind of build their image on specifically is dope tweets. a cause oh. yeah dope tweets sick burns or like sometimes like a cause if if their business kind of addresses something uh and they just don't shut up about it it it'll eventually gather some sort of recognition or support um so the good thing with this new generation of founders that i'm noticing so like founders that happen to be in gen z is that they actually kind of have multiple hills to die on. So most of which are kind of related to personal freedoms, social causes. So translating that into business, which is like the whole notion of conscious capitalism that we're noticing is kind of a welcome trend that we're slowly seeing in the incorporation of businesses with a purpose at heart, not attached as a side quest for the business. Um, so doing away with ageism a little bit, Calling out bad norms in your industry, regardless of how old, old the founder is, is actually something that a lot of market leaders do on a regular basis. So you don't need to kind of look too far back in history to notice this trend picking up. Um, and, you know, on the topic of Medium posts, I, I wrote a Medium post a really long time ago um, about this very topic where it's, you know, how as a business finding the right needle to push in the right direction um, will result in a positive sum outcome for not only your you, but your business and your industry as a whole, especially if you're working in a stagnant industry, right? Um, so what I kind of did was I kind of got a little extra. Are you implying that your industry is stagnant? Not necessarily stagnant, but I'm, I mean, one that hasn't experienced the, the, the heat that it has, that, that, that other industries are experiencing. So like, say for okay. example, you know, looking at my industry, GovTech. Um, so or you mean reasonably priced? <laughs> sort of. Um, so, so like looking at um, the that little gray area between GovTech and civic tech, um, it's not as hot as fintech. Like, there, I can't go to a person or an investor interested in the space and just say, "Hey, I kind of had this napkin and I wrote a couple of things on it for a nice idea." And there's like, "Cool, here's three million dollars." I've seen yeah, that I happen mean, in fintech. Like the founder hounders that come around you are, are at best like a six or a seven. <laughs> sure. 
I think the eights, nines, and tens are, are like straight up fintech. Hey, this is this is purely a CEO talk. I'm I'm CTO, so you gotta you gotta translate that to to tech terms. Uh, yeah, I think the best you're gonna get is like you know, a voucher for free Pizza Hut. But yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, love it. Um, <laughs> no, so 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 to get into this like excerpt a little bit. So okay, yeah, he, he, here's what I kind of wrote about this, right? So during the historic short squeeze of Game GameStop in early 2021. Um, one of the more controversial things that happened was a restriction of new purchases that Robinhood and other brokerages imposed in order to save themselves from soaring clearing fees. So while other brokerages removed the trading restrictions and continued with, with work as usual, um, Robinhood felt kind of how irritating it was to take a massive hit to their product's reliability simply because there was no need or drive from any existing player in the industry to change the rules. So in order to make the public aware of the policy that caused this and advocate for its change, uh, Vlad Tenev, who's CEO and co-founder of Robinhood, kind of put together an article emphasizing the importance of cutting down the T plus two settlement period. And shortly after posting that, Vlad's words like spread like crazy through the financial and fintech industries. So they turned heads, they spurred parallel yet relevant conversations about the plan's feasibility. And while it did give them a fair share of criticism, simply because, you know, shortening the T plus two period works on the customer, on like the, the retail investor side, but not really on the institutional investors or something like that. Um, a lot of people generally inside and outside that ecosystem saw, saw the the desire of Robin Hood to change an industry. Um, and what that resulted in is a lot of like-minded individuals joining the team and working even harder to democratize Wall Street, working past the company's IPO to even fur like further tear down the market's barriers of entries. And look, what this the, is, is the risk of calling out bullshit. Yeah, exactly. So, so here's the thing with that. If if Robinhood continued with work as usual, they could have totally gone public as well. They, they could have still gone public. But the initiative that they took, like uh, the initiative taken by Vlad and the company's leaders to attach a cause to making T plus two shorter, um, I feel like it kind of gave a lot of employees at Robinhood and a lot of candidates going through their interview processes way more of a vision as to what each of those keystrokes meant for the outside world. If that makes any sense, right? I don't think you can yeah, say strokes on podcasts anymore, but yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so the, but that's the thing. It, it's kind of like a if you if if every company, regardless of who you are, what stage you're at, you have a vision and a mission. That's fine. That's normal. But the only issue is in that journey to the mission and the vision, especially for non-founding team members or sometimes founding team members that vision kind of gets blurry and you start questioning why you're doing this and what's this and what's that, and what's the point of this. Mm -hmm. So what I notice is that if that journey itself, the, the process in which the vision becomes blurry is given a, a view or given a, a purpose or a reason, um, something to get angry at, something to get excited at, something to fix. Um, it just makes the journey way more, enjoyable way more efficient from an operations perspective and you just get to ship stuff faster yeah i mean look so much so, so much about what it means to run a startup is the idea that we are pointing out bad norms in the industry and then actually doing something about it yeah uh, i mean one of the reasons startups die is because they don't really serve a purpose whereas one of the main reasons startups truly live is because they really really serve a purpose like even travis's mm -hmm. law by the way is an extension of that concept at least to me you know, if something is illegal but highly demanded, then it's going to become legal. So right. your, your purpose comes from providing something that corrects a massive problem that happened to be a norm in the industry. Now, okay, that kind of fuels the sort of ageism debate a little bit um, mm -hmm. because you're kind of implying that older means worse. Um, mm. No, so, I, so, so that was actually the next point that I was going to touch on, which is... Um, Vlad isn't a young guy. Like he's not a 20, 18, 24 year old. Uh, so what I'm noticing Wait, is how that is like, Vlad? Uh, I'm actually not sure, but I want to say like thirties, forties, maybe. Yeah, that's old. I turned 31. Let's see. Old. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm sorry. Um, you stopped yeah. shitting in a diaper less than a decade ago, but that's not old. <laughs> um, 
Born 1986 or 87. So like mid mid 30s. That's not old. That's well. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll I'll give you that. That's not old. But what 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 I'm noticing is that you're a minor. You know the whole. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, maybe. No, no, I'm not. Um, but but so so the point I kind of wanted to hammer home is that it's it's kind of like how can I put this? The idea of tying yourself to a cause, celebrating differences, all that stuff has been so closely associated with Gen Z. And Gen Z has been slowly getting into the business side to where now other previous generations are starting to pick up the the quote unquote multiple hills to die on type of mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the trend that I kind of mentioned is very welcome, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's because it, like kind, kind of like yeah, in LA specifically, and just yeah, because I because I am in in LA specifically, but that's you know being an industry that is emerging yet already established and massive. Um, it's it's interesting seeing that dynamic play out of seeing the more established companies um, with the more experienced founders who are seeing what sort of visions and problems they seek to solve versus the mid to early twenty year olds on. Who, who I get to meet in like networking events and, and, and just normal places I go um, who are also working on towards the same missions, but in completely different yeah. ways. You know, let, let me tell you something that I heard um, from a number of investors when referring to younger, uh, to, to younger founders. Mm-hmm. So one of the things they would say to try to denigrate a younger founder is saying that, Oh, they're too young. They didn't work regular corporate jobs and therefore um, they don't have like this sort of base skill set, and uh, you know they don't have the know-how to navigate uh, basic issues that crop up. You know, my response to it is, you know, a, a lot of what I had to do when doing things for the first time was forgetting what I had learned as quote unquote the correct way to do things from just the previous job, the previous corporate job. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're coming in so fresh and they have not been indoctrinated by an, you know random bullshit from older generations um, who are kind of teaching them, you know. Lessons that don't necessarily apply to them, mm-hmm. um, and and teaching it as basically gospel. Um, that founder is not really tied down by uh, false assumptions. That founder right. that founder is incentivized to find a solution in a truly new way. And if that find if that founder finds a solution that mirrors one of the existing ways that they would have learned had they actually taken a corporate job. Then that's just confirm. That's just confirmation that that method is truly superior. But if the founder finds a more efficient way of solving a problem, then what is the point of having learned that original method? Like you know, a, a yeah. founder is a good founder if they have, among other things, good neuroplasticity. If they can very exactly. quickly learn and unlearn and relearn concepts in order to be the most efficient at what they do, that's an excellent founder. The idea that they may be tied down by things that they learned at a corporate job is not a plus to me. So I don't. I mean, to me, that makes a younger founder better. Like, do they have the tenacity to learn and create solutions, or do they simply simply become better because they've memorized somebody else's handbook from, you know, a, a bygone era, the lessons of which may be irrelevant today? Exactly. Yeah, and and I think the 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 funny thing about that is kind of one of the you know. Take a look at like abstract and GovTech, for example. Like one of the things that has really gotten people excited about the work we're doing is none of us come from poli- like at least the, the the founding team. None of us come from the the like a policy background, any sort of government affairs, lobbying, anything like that. All of us come from fairly different majors. Which the good thing about that is it keeps us in a in a persistent state of first principles thinking so every time we come across an issue we're like well why is it like that and you get a lot of stuff online about well it's because this happened a couple of years ago that did this and did that that affected this that affected that and you know at least on my end looking at it from the engineering side a lot of the a lot of the things that i had to build and a lot of the features that i had to implement um i wasn't copying anything else because simply because these issues have never been addressed directly with software as weird as that sounds um yeah. And then again, you, you did intern for Surge. So if you do have a baseline skill set, it's whatever you picked up from FakeSpot. I've realized that. Oh, that that is a big part of it as well. Yeah. So so 
having so i i think the part that i accredit to like fake spawn so is just the ability to think from a software perspective mm-hmm. um and not you know think of problems from a software perspective and then you combine you combine that with the double e undergrad that i did or like electrical engineering and um it it allows you to think of problems from both a systems and a software perspective and that makes things so much clearer and i think the Shout out, Sarud, of course. Thank you again. Um, go listen to that episode if if you haven't yet. It's actually a very yes. a very nice one. Um, but uh, yeah, that, I mean that's that's the good thing about it. I so th- like I don't work with hardware on a daily basis. Um, so the four years of electrical engineering that I did, um, I wouldn't say is completely thrown out the window because my understanding of the way systems work and how you tweak them. And how you debug them is something I use on on a daily basis nowadays. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that's the way I kind of like to think of it. So when I when I see a founder, like a little bit of controversial, would love to hear your thoughts on this. But if I was a VC and I saw a thirty year old founder again, bringing age, but not not the way we're going to be talking about it. But so thirty year old founder in fintech who spent his entire life at Goldman Sachs versus 30 year old founder in fintech who just came out of like a tech position mm-hmm. i'd honestly kind of go for the tech position guy like because if if they if they have the social skills to build a network in that industry and mm-hmm. they have the technical chops to build a solution iterate on it it just seems like a safer bet technical founders are superior founders in my opinion there are yeah. there are several notable exceptions to that. That is by no means a rule, but to me, by and large, technical founders are superior, um, mainly because the idea of iteration very early on is not alien to them, as opposed to an Excel monkey who was supposed to get it right the first time. And I use the word Excel right. monkey lovingly because I was one. Um, <laughs> the good old IB days. Yeah, uh, shudder. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. calling out bullshit in an industry is not something that is monopolized by either old or young in, in tech in general. But the young seem to be more willing to do that. My theory is yeah. one part of it is that they don't have as much to lose as an older founder by calling out bullshit. You know? Oh, interesting. Being yeah. in, say, fintech and then publicly stating that you have a significant issue with let's say plaid for argument's sake you know plaid is mm-hmm. basically the underlying software that ties together all of fintech everywhere okay, okay. I'm, I'm simplifying yeah. but you know uh yeah. saying that you have extreme disagreements with plaid to the point that you are not going to work with them or incorporate any of their products in anything you build may give engineers that you try to recruit some pause right you know Whereas if you're if you're a very young founder working with others who have never worked with Plaid in a fintech you know enterprise or startup career in the past, and you bring mm-hmm. it up, um, they don't have the context for why that may be uh, excessively risky or dangerous thing to say in a recruiting type of uh, setting, and right. therefore they take on the risk without truly understanding it, which in this case makes it. A net positive because lo and behold, they would have created something that far eclipsed what was considered the gold standard up until they started trying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think again, not 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 to sound like a broken record here, but going back to the whole creative destruction point, that's how it all starts. Like it's always like a you you have that one person, that one founder with an edge, and you give them. A set of instructions of like, in order to build something in this industry, here's what you need to do, and you need that founder, whoever it is, to go. Well, screw that. I think I'm, I'm I, like I think I have a better way in mind. I'm going to try it out. The most eloquent speeches that were ever given to get people to rise up and start a startup together always started with, "Dude, fuck this." <laughs> That's actually a very good way of putting it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> By yeah. the way, do we have time to go back to my um, my beautiful, wonderfully written uh, articles, just so that we can uh, gush over how beautiful and amazing I am? You know what? It's your birthday, so screw it. Let's do it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's my it's, it's my birthday for another fifty five minutes, so I'm gonna yeah, I'm yeah. gonna put you through all of it. But hey, you have, you have twelve hours on my in my time zone, so. Yeah. By the way, who's sponsoring this episode? Do we have a sponsor for this episode? Um, let's see. Do we have a sponsor for this? But I, I sponsored by our cat Maya. This episode is brought she's, to you she's by paying us Maya. Sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> for a loud, unruly cat. Use code. It's terrible to pet. Use Maya. <laughs> yes. If if you want to spend money on tuna and bed only for her to go and fight other cats for dead pigeons in the street. Guaranteed to vomit only on your carpet. <laughs> Maya. Call 1-800-MAYA. Exactly. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, hey, follow us on Twitter. Um, you can find both my and Mo's uh, Twitter handles on the Venture Bros Podcast Twitter account, which is at Venture Bros Show. Yep. Um, yep. Anything else we got to plug? Man, it should really be a list we got to read because I'm pretty sure that's how everyone does this. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. But I mean, nothing else besides the fact that, you know, if anyone has any guest recommendations, if anyone has any, yeah, Lord knows, feedback, anything like that. By the that, way, feel the, free the to send DMs. The DMs for the for the show account are open, and we do actually respond. Um, yes, you know, at least if it's if it's flattering. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we'd love to hear it. If you have any any guest requests or just requests in general, we're we're more than happy to hear it. Um, if Absolutely. you want to talk to me directly, feel free to DM my personal Twitter. Um, if you want to talk to Mo, feel free to draw a pentagram on the ground and chant his name in the dark. <laughs> Um, also, yes, if you leave a bag exactly. of Doritos in the middle of the pentagram, he shows up faster. So yes, yeah, it's I, I have a like prioritization list, and yeah. the more <laughs> shit you throw in that pentagram, the higher up the list you go. It's like just throw, throw some candy in there, uh, gummy bears, <laughs> right, right, yeah. Chipotle, um, <laughs> Chipotle, yeah. and then uh, some emodium for what the Chipotle is going to do to him. And <laughs> anyhow, exactly. All right, I need to but go yeah, enjoy what that's... is left of my my birthday. Uh, what are you doing? Um, I got a couple of meetings that we had to push from Friday, but um, just going back to the migration, really nothing nothing too special on my end. Cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, I got to go edit out that horrible, terrible thing that you said earlier. And oh yes, uh, yes, please do. I'll I'll give it a listen beforehand, but because yes. you know you still need a, a job. <laughs> and be able to raise money at some point so indeed indeed okay i think that's the next billion dollar idea just building See, something i'm, I'm saving works. you i'm saving you from cancellation you owe me everything yes Send me, actually you know what just it, just give me more equity or i'm telling mom <laughs> i'll uh I'll, I'll cc my my ceo patrick okay peace <laughs> Alrighty. bye-bye <laughs>